Welcome to the Craft a Path podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Michalek. Listen along as I chat with fellow travelers and eccentrics about the interesting lifestyles they live. In this world of options, why follow the masses when you can craft a path? Today I'm joined by personal finance coach and host of the Sustainable Savings Podcast, Michael Joseph. Through personal stories, Mike and I discuss why the simple act of prioritization just might be the key. It's good to catch up with you, Mike, and yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit about your path, like maybe what you studied in college and what you did immediately after and then how that led up to the podcast and and the website, the financial coaching as a whole. Sure. So you and I, we've known each other a really long time. And I think we both relate in the sense that we've always been drawn to a non-conventional path, you know, where it's very easy to get wrapped up in, well, you graduated high school. Now it's time to go to college. And there's just always been, and it's a cultural thing, but there's always been this idea that if you just follow the rules that you will get the life that you want. And I think a lot of people get that and it's perfectly fine. They set out to do what they want to do, but there's also a sect of people and it's not a small sect. I think that there's a decent amount of people that don't really know themselves yet yeah and they find themselves making these life decisions and there's pressure to make that decision and you're you're so young you know you're 18 to 20 years old and you have two years if you don't know already to decide what you're going to do with the next 45 years of your life and that's a lot of pressure and in my own experience i found myself in a situation where you know, my father, he's a, a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. Mm-hmm. And I had done some walkthroughs at the hospital with him. And I was like, okay, maybe physical therapy is something I could do. And in reality, it was just me, my father just projecting on his interest to me. And I like picked up on that. And when I got to college and started taking those classes, I realized very quickly, like science just wasn't my strong suit. Like, um, But then came the time to change majors and I didn't know what to study. And it's so difficult. I was sitting in a advising appointment with a university advisor and she's telling me all these survey classes I can take uh, to try out different majors. And when you're taking student loans and you understand how much money is actually going towards your tuition, the idea of taking a survey class, even just one, let alone a whole semester of survey classes is awful to think about because you're just going to look back and go, I spent five grand to figure out my shit. And that's, that's difficult. And so as I, talk to more people. My roommate at the time was a mass communications major. And as I was talking to her about that, like just getting more information, she kind of told me, oh, well, you could do public relations. Like with that, you could do journalism or you could do advertising or you could do marketing. 
And I kind of made this decision to go with that based on the fact that it gave me a more opportunity and not based on the fact that I wanted a job with that education. And because again, we're, this is, this is Mike when he's back in the mode of, if I just follow the rules, everything will work out. Everything will be okay. Eventually, eventually I'll get where I want to go. And through that major, public relations was a great major. It's writing intensive. Um, I think I learned how to do a lot of things that I'm applying now, uh, whether it be with my podcast or content creation. Um, so I've, I've been grateful for that education. And it was also, it gave me a, a step in the door for a lot of job opportunities that, that in my experience, I would see people that work their way up. It take a lot longer to get. So I'm not discrediting a college education at all. Sure. Um, but in that education, I I had to take four semesters of a language. Mm-hmm. And I... So I actually studied abroad two times. So I okay. went for I went for intermediate Spanish um, one and two, uh, and pretty much like after I went to Spain, I was like, "This is cool. I'm gonna do a second minor in Spanish." And then as I was looking into it, I realized that the major was only four more classes, okay. and I was coming towards the end of my public relations major. And I was going into a winter or fall semester where I was only going to be taking one class. And I thought, I thought to myself, I was like, if I just study abroad, I'll get four classes and then I'll come back in the spring and take three more Spanish classes in my last public relations class and I'll get a second major. So I was able to extend or I was able to get a second bachelor's only extending my college career by one semester, which oh, that is sounds worth it. Most can't say, and I got to have this amazing experience where I lived in Spain for five to six months. I got to travel all over Europe, and um, that was really cool for me because it was a very, that's kind of what started my non-conventional like path where I was like, okay, spent a semester abroad, starting to think a little differently, learned a second language. Um, and I definitely feel like I'm someone that could improve, like something... I want to do in the future is like go live in different Spanish speaking countries for, you know, one to three months at a time and be able to sharpen and expand on my dialects and vocabulary. Um, Because I feel like I'm conversationally fluent, but I think there's a distinct difference between being fluent and bilingual. Um, Right. Yeah. I I find myself, I have to translate everything. Well, most things for the most part. Yeah. Like you can, and I always tell people the difference is like being fluent is like, I can go to a Spanish speaking country, get around. I can sit down with somebody and have a conversation with them. Um, tell my story, ask them their story, understand them, hear them. Being bilingual is like persuading someone to do something. Sure. It's telling someone a funny story or a joke. Um, being able to listen to music and watch television and understand without Spanish subtitles. Sure. Um, there's just levels, there's just levels to fluency. And, um, but anyway, I'm grateful for my time over there and I, I want to go back uh, at some point, but that's what really kind of started the whole uh, non-conventional path for me. And so let um, me ask, do you think that was just like, 
the physical aspect of travel to a foreign place and being introduced, being in a, uh, an environment where you're speaking and learning another language, or was there like a certain aspect of European lifestyle that you started to adopt or you started to feel more comfortable with? I think it's just the perspective of having something totally different, you know? Uh -huh. So living in the U S I mean, we both grew up in the same town, uh, yeah. military town and the United States is very spread out. There's a lot of land to have your cities far apart. Right. And the United States is also a very young country compared to European countries. So a lot of the infrastructure of some of these European cities is completely designed for people to be able to walk everywhere. And that was a huge thing for me as I realized I was like, I do not need a vehicle if I was to live in Europe again. I would there'd be no pressure to do so. I was just fine in the city that I was in. I could get on a train and be in Madrid in like 45 minutes. And the subway system in Madrid is one of the best in the entire world. Um, and you can literally navigate the city anywhere you want to go. Um, and then there's other countries I went to where it's the same thing, where their public transportation was just far superior than the United States. And that, when I got back to the U.S., that was hard, a hard adjustment for me where I was like, why do we have yeah. to drive places? This is so unnecessary. Why does everyone have a personal vehicle? And uh, granted, it's, it's really just culture shock of coming back to your own, your own country. But uh, it, it opened my eyes a little bit to like, oh, there's a lot of different ways you can live. And there's a lot of different things you can do. And for me, as I was finishing college, that kind of is like what started to drive that thinking of like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go do something different. This okay. idea that different was good. And different is scary for almost everybody. If you present anyone out there with an unknown, they're going to be at least a little afraid. Why? Because the thought of not knowing the outcome is more scary than the actual outcome. Absolutely. So if somebody's presented with like, oh, I'm going to go live abroad. It's like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Or what if I can't figure it out? That's like a normal function of your brain for self-preservation, but it's not the outcome. Like if the outcome was bad, you wouldn't be afraid of that outcome still. You would still, whether you, what was I, what was I said to somebody, uh, it's either the outcome you want or the outcome you expect. So uh -huh. when you're faced with an unknown, because the thing that you expect a lot of times is the negative. So it's either the outcome you want or you expect either way, you know, the outcome, but what you're afraid of is the unknown. And right. so I think a lot of people stay still a lot of times because they have trouble navigating that fear. And what they're really afraid of is just not knowing. And, um, I think that keeps a lot of people back and that's okay. Um, I've learned a lot in my travels that one thing you, you miss out on, you make friends and connections as you travel the world, the country. Um, but the thing you, you miss is like a real community that takes years to build. Yeah. And like I have friends that live in places and they've lived there a very long time and they have these staple foundations for what they consider to be their community. 
And in my experience, I've traveled, I've moved places two years at a time and you start to build some of those foundations, but then you're on your way out and you have made great connections, but there's a difference in that level of community. Absolutely. Um, and that's, and that's just one thing, like, you know, I've had people tell me, like, I've lived just up until now, I've lived in Lake Tahoe, California for the last two years. And I've worked in the ski industry. And, you know, I've talked to different people and they're like, oh, dude, you're just like living the life. And you're, you're, I just, sometimes I just wish I could do what you, you're doing. And in my reality, I'm like, I still have problems. I still struggle with my day-to-day job. I still have stress. I still have fears. And it's not, it's not that I have somehow chosen to do something that someone else can't do. But I also tell that person, you know, you're looking at it from the perspective that you're missing out. And I could also argue that by living the lifestyle I live, I'm missing out on things that you get. And sure. there's, there's trade-offs with every... Uh, lifestyle decision and it's like if you're very mobile when you're young you know that's opportunity of time missed to settle down and have kids and you know there's there's all these trade-offs and you make those decisions but in at the end of the day it's what serves you the best in that time you know so for me two years ago I know we're kind of all over the place here I'm sorry (laughs) oh no it's uh Two years ago, I was I was actually living in Texas and I was working a job that I didn't like and I had just paid off my student loans. And I was like, I gotta get the heck out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, don't like this job. And you've always wanted to go work in the ski industry. Like you need to make a push, go do it. And I quit my job and I moved to Lake Tahoe and I had I I had like interviewed for a job like two weeks before I left. Like I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I got it. Cool. And I ended up being in South Lake Tahoe at a resort called heavenly. And I worked there for the first season and I decided, you know, I don't think I've had my fill yet. I'd like to do a little more. And I found a full-time year round job. And then I was there for two total years and that served me really well. And Um, I really enjoyed like the outdoor recreation aspect of everything, but I still found myself in a position that I was like, you're still not feeling fulfilled. Yes. You have great hobbies out here, but like your sense of fulfillment in your own life is still lacking. Like I, it's almost like there's more distractions when you can go do what you love on a regular basis. it's easier to push some of that other stuff down and my first summer in tahoe i one of my friends um she had a podcast for a while where she traveled the country uh, to all the national parks and um she basically interviewed guests and got personal narratives of what it's like to explore the park it's actually pretty cool it's called nat park stories Um, i have been binging nat park stories i'm addicted i actually reached out to summer the other day i hope to chat with her soon yeah she's awesome um she i don't think she's doing the podcast anymore she's based in bozeman montana now um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah like anyways i was talking to her 
And she was like, you know, I think she was in Austin at the time um, on her trip. And she was like, you know, you should really look at this conference called uh, World Domination Summit. I'm going next summer. And at the time it was like September, October. I hadn't even quit my job in Texas yet. Okay. And I bought a ticket. And then sure enough, like a month later, I was like, I'm moving to Tahoe. <laughs> and then the next summer I drove up and went to this conference. Well, this conference is basically just a big collaborative event for like entrepreneurs and people who are like solopreneurs and work for themselves and are doing like non-conventional types of businesses. And when I was there, like through a lot of meetups, like there are a lot of like events and activities that are all facilitated by the people that are attending the event. So it's a very mm -hmm. collaborative conference. Um, I went to this workshop and it was kind of like this idea that you, you're doing something for work. If you want to feel like very fulfilled in your work, you're doing something like that's important to you based on your own story, your own narrative. And so when I realized like, you know, I paid off my student loans in like four and a half years versus very 10 impressive. years. Yeah. And I did the bulk of that in two years, realistically, when I moved from Seattle back to Austin, Texas. Okay. And so that was another thing is like a little bit of background there is when I graduated college, I couldn't find a job in my field because I didn't set myself up to get a specific job. I took all the classes I needed to take to get the degree, but I didn't go through college with the intent to do a specific job. And that yeah, is you the were keeping your options open, right? Which, you know, it's that it's difficult because when you're young, it's hard to know. It's, I think it's kind of dangerous to pick something very specific but at the same time, when you're too broad, then it can be difficult to find a specific job. And that's the advice that I give anyone that's navigating uh, undergraduate uh, degree is, are you studying something because it interests you? Are you studying something to get a specific job? Because if you look at the skill specific jobs out there, there are programs for those jobs. So like Texas State University, where I went to, they have one of the best education programs in Texas. Uh -huh. And everyone I know that's gone through that education program has a job, they're a teacher. Uh -huh. And those programs set people up so that you go through a block teaching with a teacher, right. uh, a semester of student teaching. And when that, when that, uh, student gets into the workforce schools aren't saying well they're not qualified like they know how to teach a class and they've basically done an internship through the university to prove that they can do that class to themselves to as well right yeah i mean yeah they know yeah, what they're getting into nursing any technical program these people are walking out with the knowledge on how to do that specific job but if you study something like mass communications, journalism, advertising, public relations, marketing, um, business management, you need to have a very clear idea of what you want to do because you're going to have to prove to that employer that you have work experience. And it's 
a lot of these jobs, it's like they there's like jokes on the internet where they're like, oh, they want five years of experience in firm only. How are you supposed to get the experience if you're a college graduate? Sure. Well, there's this book, uh, what's it called? Um, Ultra Learning um, by Scott Young. And this guy, I listened to him speak at World Domination Summit, but um, I think his books, like he has a uh, ebook available on Amazon. Okay. But he, he spent, he spent the year, he spent a year at a college with his friend traveling the world. And they did three months in four different countries. One of them was Spain. One was like China. I think one was India and one was another one. And they spent three months and they wouldn't speak. They did. They spent a whole year without speaking English. And, (laughs) and these guys basically together, like learned four languages in a year and not like, again, there's a difference between fluency and, um, being bilingual, being, being bilingual, or, or, but, multilingual. but it, it's, it's interesting in the fact of the learning style, which is like going towards like what's difficult. And he gives an example of his friend in the book who graduates, uh, from a university in uh, Vancouver, BC. And he's, he went to school for architecture and no firm will hire him at all. And his friend basically spent a year learning everything that he was going to be able to to need to prove to an architecture firm that he could do this job. Mm -hmm. And he spent a year building a portfolio and learning everything that he needed to be able to prove and every skill he needed to have to get this job. And at the end of the year, he applied again and he had an offer from every single firm he applied to because he basically set himself up to be in a position to get that job. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what I, I, that's, I think that our education system has gotten skewed and it's like, Oh yeah, if you like, if you like this subject, go ahead and study it. Yeah, absolutely. However, not setting up people for real world jobs is the reason that a lot of people aren't getting jobs out of school anymore. Absolutely. Um, education is becoming very generalized unless you're in a very technical specific um, where the, it's a very structured program to get you that specific job. Um, and for a lot of jobs out there, there is no specific program for you. You have to make one. Like if you want to get a good job out of college and you want to do all the things you need to do, you need to be able to prove it, but it's going to, it's the university is not going to help you do that. You need to prove that you can do it to your employer. Cause that's the goal of college, right? The goal of college is to study something that gets you a job that gets you income to participate as an adult in society. Um, but the education system past like the point of generalized classes isn't getting there anymore. So it's up to the student. So advice for any students that are studying things that aren't super specific, like if you have first identify a job and second, build a portfolio to prove that you could do that job. Absolutely. And I think that would, that would challenge a lot of people to think long and hard about their motivations with the things that they're studying. Is this something that you want to go the extra mile to, you know, prepare yourself to work in that field? I think that could be a lot, pretty eye-opening for a lot of people. And it might be, that might scare them because it's, it's kind of a cruel reality, but it's better to do it now it's like let's say you're uh you're let's say you're studying 
advertising. You know, something I found out about after uh, college was Fiverr. And I was like, yeah, why are, why are these professors not encouraging students to work as freelancers while they're in college and be able to build this portfolio of all the things they did? And it's whether they're doing well or not. Fiverr, a lot of times they only pay someone $5 for a service. So it's really not hurting the person that they're, they're freelancing for. It's a great way for someone to build a portfolio and whatever service they offer, um, but with no real consequences that like someone would sue you or something if it didn't work out. It's a $5 sure. service. So that's like this guy I talked to at World Domination Summit. He believes that work is changing. Um, he has a podcast called the Life Skills That Matter podcast. Okay, his I'll name check is, that out. Uh, his name is Stephen Worley. And uh, he has this philosophy that work is changing in a way that we're all becoming like solopreneurs basically and that we're all doing our own types of work and that's what's changing and it's kind of like why do you need to go work for a PR firm when you have access to the internet and you can work as a public relations specialist for yourself and there's so many outlets to service anyone that is posting a job and you know that's kind of where things are going with the internet and like a lot of like industries are changing like I worked in retail for six years. That's, you know, especially with COVID, a lot of that's going away. I bet. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things where for me, like during a shutdown, I had already had my podcast out. So sorry, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was in, when I was at that conference, I basically got this guy, Stephen Morley's uh, information. I went to his workshop and he followed up with me a couple of weeks after the conference and gave me some free coaching. And, you know, he was like, you should really get interested in some kind of content creation um, to potentially create a funnel in the future for future clients. And, um, you know, I thought about a bunch of different avenues. Like I was like, oh, maybe I'll do like a blog or a book. Um, but that's when I started getting into the idea of like a podcast. And you and I had had a conversation that wasn't recorded, but it was, it was just a phone call. And I had talked to, I think like 10 different people mm -hmm. about what they thought about it. And I was like connecting in my own experience. And that's kind of back to that theme of like, you know, you're doing some kind of work based on your own story. And in yeah. my experience, I eliminated my debt by living small and by adjusting my cost of living. But I don't think that I compromised my quality of life. I just redefined like my own basic needs and that resonated really well with me. And I thought about it and I was like, I wonder if anyone out there is talking about how people can save money through uh, sustainability or non uh, unconventional practices. Um, and I didn't really see that. And I was like, this would be a cool idea for a podcast and I could talk to people um, who are out there and they're in, they're active in the sustainable community, but they're also saving money and just kind of bring that to light. So it's kind of like someone who doesn't live so sustainably can observe and be like, oh, you know, I'm financially motivated to be kinder to our planet. And right. I love the duality of it. 
Yeah. And because a lot of times our systems aren't built for that, like some cities don't offer recycling. Some cities don't offer compost. When I lived in Seattle, they had mandatory compost. Um, And that was another thing when I lived out there, it gave me perspective because between recycling and compost, I was almost putting nothing in my trash can um, that was actually going to landfill. And those are like, it's like what we talked about earlier. It's just like, those are those experiences when you go off and you live somewhere different that you, your perspective has therefore changed. Uh And for me, I just have kind of pulled all those things together and it's kind of like just helping people understand that there's a lot of materialism and consumerism in our society and not telling them what to do, but telling them to challenge their own way of thinking, um, but also save money at the same time. So that podcast has been out since February and you and I were the first episode that I did. And I like going back to what you said earlier, I, I did have like four episodes ready Um, and that's a good way to get started because I think in my opinion, like you're working out the bugs a lot of times. Yeah, Um, sure. Like for me, I was doing like audio editing and certain things I had never done before and working with those first four episodes, I kind of got some experience on how to do those things. And then I just started recording as like I just started getting episodes all the time. And that's another thing with that. Uh, beware of the unknown. People love to tell their story. And it's like, I message people all the time to be on a podcast. And most of them are like, yeah, absolutely. They I'll love it, right? There. I'll come on there and self-promote. Absolutely. No worries. Yeah, um, I found that as well. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's motivating for me as well. I love to hear people's stories. So yeah, I think it's a great medium. So it's, it's a good way to start where you can launch like three or four. Um, and just to go, I think one thing with podcasting that's cool as well is not every listener has time to listen every week. So, you know, sometimes it's good. People have like a consistent schedule that they drop, but there are other podcasts I listen to where somebody drops three episodes at the same time once a month. And sure somebody just listen. So that's the beauty of, of podcasts versus like radio is that as the consumer, you can just make your own time to listen. So Mm -hmm. there's times where an episode will drop for my podcast and, you know, I'll have like 20 to 30 people listen in the first like day or two. And then randomly like two weeks later, like 20 people might listen to that one episode in a day and that it just randomly happens. And, it's just all based on who's subscribed to you and like, what's their consumer habit. But a lot of times there's this, at least I felt in my own experience, this pressure that I had to put an episode out every week and that if I didn't put it out every week, these people weren't going to listen. And it's just in reality, like that's not the case. Like you just, you put content out as you can, like if you can do at least one to two episodes a month, like awesome. Mm -hmm. But I started out like more conversational based and then I started to implement some of my own uh, like solo episodes about um, money saving habits that aren't necessarily uh, 
because that during like, so this kind of ties in is like, I basically started out with a, like getting at least 10 to 15 episodes uh, with pretty unique content per episode. And then starting to transition into like financial savings things, because mm -hmm. when I had started this podcast idea, I was like, I'm going to use this as a platform for a business. So I have to start thinking about like how exactly what kind of business I want to have. And uh, over COVID, I got laid off and I did a business accelerator um, actually with that same guy, uh, Steven. And it was like me and seven other people, but we all basically had online businesses that we were trying to get going. And it just helped accelerate the process and answer some of those unknowns. And that gave me a lot of clarity um, over like how I can help people like right away. So, mm -hmm. um, I worked with a couple people in the last couple months, but it's really just been basic, basic financial coaching, um, and just providing clarity to people through, uh, financial budgets. So helping people understand where they are, giving them clarity on what they can improve, but all with the idea that they're not compromising their quality of life. Um, I think there's a, there's this negative connotation around saving money that you like have to be miserable to save money. And yeah. I think that's not true. I think the reason that people feel that stress is because society tells us that we need that somehow having the more expensive things are going to make us happier, you know? having the nice apartment, having the new car that somehow that's going to make you feel better in your own life. And in reality, like they don't. I and listened back to our, our first podcast a year ago and um, you said something on that note and you talked about how when you buy something new, it's nice and shiny for the first week or two. And then no matter what it is, no matter how luxurious, it just becomes utility. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's really looking at things in a, in a useful way. And I did an interview with the CEO of this company called Cladwell um, a couple months ago, and she uses a term called essentialism, which I love mm -hmm. because people who are minimalists, they use this there's this idea that you have to be like very stingy and that you just don't need anything and that you're somehow happier because you have less. And her perspective is like, essentialism is like, no, I don't have like less. I just have everything that I need and want. Um, sure. I have everything that I use. And I think a lot of people who live minimalistic feel that way they just don't coin it that way and it's like when someone's on a diet and they're like oh I can't eat this I can't eat this I can't eat this versus the person that's like oh I get to eat all this great healthy food it's great like all I'm only eating things that are good for me <laughs> like sure and yeah so it's it's one of those things like I think challenging people to like I said before, redefine their basic needs, not what they want, but like their basic needs. And 
challenging them like that they're really going to be so much unhappier like if you can't afford to have a roommate then or if you can't afford to live alone like some people might not like having a roommate but you can tell them like this is where you're losing this is where you're bleeding uh per month mon uh, money wise because you're not willing to you can't cut you can only cut so much money out of your little things and that's how that's what i tell people is i'm like people think that it's like not going out to eat and trying not to buy anything and staying home and really like 50 when you look at their budget 50 percent of their income is going towards reoccurring expenses right and it's like they've basically created an environment in which they are broke and saving money is hard and they and think know, that they sorry go ahead on that note um I think so many people set their own limitations where they might think that they are unwilling to have a roommate or are unwilling to drive an older car, something like that. But when they actually try it, there can be rewards to those things as well. I mean, having a roommate specifically, I have a roommate here in Spain and that's, that's a good way to practice Spanish. You know, it's someone, it's a companion to do things with when you want it. Uh, so it's not always a bad thing. And it just goes back to that fear of change. And when I move and getting that perspective from that change, like I was not very good with money until I moved to Seattle and was super broke for a year. I, my rent was way too much. I didn't do a budget. I wasn't making enough income. And then I moved further into Seattle. My rent was about the same, but I changed jobs and I was like, okay, I'm saving a little bit more money now. Um, but I'm not saving a ton of money. And, but it was enough that I was like, I'm comfortable. Like I'm not broke. I can still like go out to eat. I can buy things and like I can still save a little money, but it wasn't until I moved back to Austin and I had the same job. So I moved from Seattle to Austin and I was basically making the same amount of money, but my rent costs dropped by $500 wow. and my insurance costs dropped by $40 and price of gas is like half the price, like cost of groceries went down. And all the while I'm like making the same amount of income. So just as an example, like, just my rent being cut by $500 a month, my income, my relative income went up $6,000 a year. And, and I think that's the important number, right? The relative income. So when you look at paying off your, your debt, your relative income is really just what you net from your expenses or your income versus your expenses. Right. So for me, as an example, I switched, uh, about a year ago, I switched from AT&T to Cricket Wireless. And AT&T owns Cricket Wireless, right? And it's the same network. It's the same network. Cricket uses AT&T towers, but AT&T owns them. And I was paying $115 with AT&T with my iPhone for unlimited everything. And it's, it's super funny because my parents were on Cricket and they were just advocating for me to do it. And they were like, you should get back on our plan 
it's only $25 a month if each, if we have four lines. And so then I got, I basically hopped on my parents' cell phone plan and then I could get an extra hotspot for $10 extra a month. So I dropped my cell phone bill to 800 or I dropped it by $80 a month and I was getting the exact same service and I had a hotspot now. And, and it's again, like when you look at $80 over the course of a year, like you're talking about like almost a thousand dollars and $960. And when you're making changes like that, it just, it just expands your relative income. And in certain places, people don't have that flexibility. There's like a low, there's a cap on your rent. There's a cap on, on everything, but there are little areas where you're like, this is how I can increase my income by a thousand dollars this year. And that's just what I've tried to show people um, to think a little bit differently about how to save money. Like saving money is not done on the daily it's done monthly and it's based on how you structure your financial environment is not based on having the will to not eat out like every day like and i'm not saying that doesn't that that helps being restrictive with yourself but do you want to be broke and unhappy or do you want to have money and still be able to cater to the vices that are in your life? Um, and that's something I tell people to do too, is just cater to your vices because those are things that you genuinely enjoy and you should not withhold things like that from yourself, but you should control them. And then you can get that extra income to cater to those things by structuring the controlled things like rent. Sure. Like, so it's a matter sure. of prioritization. I mean, you can't have everything. No one can, uh, mm-hmm. but you can still live a good life and put some money aside. And if you want to eat out every day, I suggest move to Spain where you can get yes. a, a tapa for free all hours yeah. of the day. <laughs> two, two euros for a little beer or glass of wine and a little croquet. Like, Oh man. Yeah. yeah it's my favorite part of the lifestyle. I mean, yeah. Siesta is a close second, but I don't often don't often indulge with the siesta. So it'll be a sad day if they close the bars. I must say. Did you ever read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss? I have read that book. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a it's a book that it, like kind of got me thinking. I'm about to read a book called uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Okay, I haven't uh, heard about that one. So it's a great book for uh, what I've heard for um, outside sources of income or ways to make money when you're ways to make passive income. Okay. And, uh, you know, for me, something I've been I've I'm, I'm doing now is I got accepted to go back uh, to school for accounting and I'm actually pursuing that starting in January. And I have a couple more prerequisites before I can like get into the grad program. But um, what's kind of driven me is like, as I've learned from trying out this financial coaching business is that there's a lot of things I wanna be able to help people do that aren't just involved in like budgeting. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm expanding 
this business like going into the future where I can do people's taxes and I can work with business owners and entrepreneurs and uh, and still help people like get better with their money um, and continue working on the podcast. Um, but I've looked to start doing that like going forward. Um, and- How has your perspective on education changed since you finished your undergraduate degree and until now when you're now looking to pursue the masters? So I told myself, I said, I told myself after going through uh, paying off all my student loans, I said, I'll never go back. I'll never go back to school unless I know like a job I specifically want to be able to do. Right. And for me, the thing about accounting and uh, like getting my CPA and being able to do people's like taxes and taxes for business owners is that I can control my work week. So for me, the goal is, is I can structure my life so that in the first four months of the year, I can make the majority of my income for the year and then be able to promote other aspects of uh, this like virtual accounting firm that I want to do like with a financial coaching uh, service on the side um, so that I can work passively over the course of the year and be able to have the time and flexibility I want to do, which kind of puts a lot of work on you in the beginning of the year, but it creates the remote work. Cause for me, it's like asking yourself, like, what's your ideal place to work for me? It's not in an office. It's not, um, it's not like standing on my feet. Like for me, like the ideal work situation for me is like, I can have passive income throughout the year that I made like in the beginning of the year. Uh And then I have the flexibility to travel or go where I want to go and be able to work remotely, but dramatically lower the amount of work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's like, I'm trying to structure an environment that I can travel or have the flexibility to do what I want to do. Like you and I are both like big snowboarders. Like I want to be able to go to Colorado for two weeks and just yeah. rent an Airbnb or an apartment for a month and just be able to work and go ski when I want to go ski. Yeah. Um, have that location independence. Exactly. Foundation that foundation of income from the accounting and be able to supplement it with a multitude of other activities. That sounds wonderful. So it's, I want to, you know, I've done a little work for myself, but I want to, I'm going back to school to expand what I can do for myself. Um, and even though that's a financial risk, it's still an investment. It's sure. something that you get back in the long run. And um, I just want, that's the thing I've traveled and I've done a lot and I've had a lot of great experiences, but what's always come back to is I don't really associate what I do for work with my identity, but I think when work is fulfilling, it aligns with your identity. And something for me is like, I am really good with my money and I'm very conscious and I'm great with math and numbers. And so this type of work aligns with my identity, but I still don't believe in the non or the conventional 40 hour work week. Sure. It's like, 
I still want to play like life and work by my own rules. And like, this is how I think I can do that. So I'm kind of making that investment so that I can do like tax season, like big in the first four months of the year and then do other financial and accounting services all year long. And it's basically like the, the money that you earn in the first part of the year becomes your passive income. And that's also, I've started to look at investing in property potentially uh, in the next year or two to create more passive income sources so that there's not so much pressure. Like when I get done with grad school to have like 50 clients lined up, you know? So absolutely. I feel like there should be some opportunities in the, in the real estate business pretty soon. Unfortunately, as a result of COVID, I think that might lead to some opportunities. Um, But yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, you're taking something that you do for yourself and you're offering it as a service to other people. So it's just an extension of your life. It's not a job per se. So yeah, I love that type of thing. And that's the big thing with content creation, right? Is like uh, when you're project or you're selling yourself as a business or a service, like why should somebody pick you, you know? And a lot of times you're, people identify with you the best based on like an article they read that you wrote or a YouTube video they saw or a podcast episode they listened to all of those things, they help people relate to you. And it's like, for example, if someone's listening to this right now, they might hear my story and go, you know what? I feel like I'm in the same feeling and position that this guy was in. And if I was going to go to get advice or help from somebody, this is who I want to get help from because I feel like this person understands me and then they can go to my website, set up a free consultation call and, you know, they can work it out that way. But what, whatever platform is just, if you're going to be someone that works for yourself, people have to be able to identify with you as an individual. Um, yeah. Be real, be yourself. It's like new, the, the new age of, business of online business is becoming going hand in hand with self-promotion, building a brand and uh, creating content. So absolutely. And where can people find you? What is your website? Yeah. So uh, you can go to sustainablesavings.org. I have links to uh, all my podcast episodes where you can listen to the podcast on the website or you can uh, listen to the podcast on pretty much any streaming platform out there. Uh, if you listen to on Apple, uh, be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you like the content. Okay. Um, and if uh, if you're interested in any financial coaching, anything like that, you can uh, just go to uh, that same website and schedule a consultation call for free. Um, so my availability is set on there so you can uh, set up a free call to See if you're a good fit for some coaching. Awesome. Awesome. I really like the website and encourage people to visit. It's easy to navigate and I like the show notes. So mm-hmm. you can you can look at the show notes after you've listened to a podcast or even before if you want a quick preview of what to expect or what to look for. I think that's a really good idea. Something I plan to adopt with this as well. Um, I don't know if this is the last question, but one thing I want to address. We talked earlier about young people in particular, people in undergraduate studies and how it's important for them to study for the right reasons. 
study to obtain a job, study to contribute to the workforce. But do you have any advice on how to identify a passion or identify a good fit? Something that you that is worthy of studying? Because that's something I really struggled with when I was young. I just think it's, there's, like I said before, there's pressure in like the timeline of figuring things out mm-hmm. and just understanding that it's okay to not know. Um, but here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you're in this situation, no one is coming to give you the answer. No one, no one is going to tell you what to do. The only way that you're going to find out is to get outside perspective through experimentation. You need to figure out what you like and who you are, but no one. And I feel like I had this feeling for a long time that, and a feeling of entitlement, like someone was going to come tell me what to do because throughout my whole life, someone had always given me the next step. And no one is coming to help you. No one is coming to give you that answer. You have to figure it out for yourself. And then the way you do that is experimentation and getting outside perspective to figure out who you are and what you want to do. And there are safe jobs and safe ways you can navigate it. But if you don't want to be a person that is 10 years into your work career and you're like, I just hate what I'm doing. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't align with me. It's because you didn't do the work to figure out like what you truly enjoy based on who you are. So experiment, figure out who you are and it's okay if it doesn't happen right now. It might not happen until after you're done with college and that's just the way it goes. But stress comes from expectation and expecting that you're supposed to have things figured out is not like, it's not good for you. It's not good for anybody. So just living your life as an individual, your own timeline is your own and uh, navigating it based on that. So. Absolutely. Well said, Mike. And I think the most important thing when you're making those considerations is find that answer for yourself. Don't think about what your peers are going to think. And so I think at times that's been the hardest part for me. Um, and the more, the further along you are your own individual path, the, the more the doubts start to fade away. You don't really, you kind of just start to tune out the doubters. Um, would you and agree that, with that as well? Yeah. And that's the thing for having, being a part of that sect of people that wants to be an outlier or non-conventional is if you find yourself comparing yourselves to peers, then you find yourself like drifting towards what is conventional and is not you. And it's important to remember that your life, your journey, like is your own, you know, only you will care if you do it or don't do it. No one will care if you don't do it. Like no one will care. So at the end of the day, like when making decisions and pursuing your own goals in your own life, whatever you want to do, it's like, I moved to Lake Tahoe when I was 28 going on 29 years old. And for a lot of people, they're six, seven years into their career 
But for me and my own individual journey, like I was like, this is something I want to do and I want to invest my time in. And looking back at that two years, it served me re really well. And I have no regrets. And I feel like I'm on to another chapter, another stage just in my own journey. But I don't have this pressure that I need to do. Like if I know someone who's also 30 years old and they're not in grad or they're already through grad school or they're already doing the job they want to do, like I'm happy for that person. And like, but it's just taken me my I'm taking the long way around if, if I was to look at it that way. And that's not a bad thing. I'm just living my life according to what serves me best at that time. So Absolutely. that's, that's another thing. If somebody was happy with something for five years and it's no longer serving them, it's okay to change. Like it's okay to change careers. Like there's nothing wrong with it versus just being like, this is what I've always done. And this is what I'll continue to do. But then at least unhappiness. So always live in a way that serves you well and it's okay for things to change. Great advice from Michael Joseph. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, I'm excited to hear about your time in Texas. I've just realized all of the guests of the, on this podcast have been from Texas. So uh, I'll have to put you in touch with some people if you're interested. And uh, I hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Buena suerte, amigo, and nos vemos. Buena suerte, nos vemos. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you like the podcast, remember to please subscribe and leave a review if you have the time. More conversations coming soon. Goodbye.